to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are glad you are here, and welcome to episode number two of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I am fabulous. You know why. I know you. I am at Myrtle Beach moving into our second condo, which actually goes with our topic today of of life changes and transitions because, you know, I am a retired teacher and Chad's going to be retiring soon. So we're figuring out our, our retirement as we get older and we've we've decided to invest in property just a little bit. So we've bought our second beach condo and we're renting one of them out which is all new to us we've never done any property management or renting before so i've been here working so hard getting everything ready for the renters well i wish i was there with you but oh, i was I here too. working and working on this week's podcast awesome yeah sherry has been doing a lot of work everybody and i'm very grateful for that this is a transition for you as well right it is this is a transition for me this is something I've wanted to do for a long time and just, you know, made excuses for why I couldn't do it or shouldn't do it. And then finally, one day I was just like, after talking to Jen, I was like, what am I doing? What am I waiting for? Let's do this. That That's just a great way of, of thinking about it. Same with me. You know, I, I started to think about, hmm, I might could do a podcast. And that's when Melanie Avalon popped into my life. And Um, brought me along for the intermittent fasting podcast. And then, you know, she did all the editing. She did so much work for that. I wanted to do a podcast of my own with intermittent fasting stories, but it was the whole, I can't, I don't know how to audio edit. And then I was just like, why don't I hire somebody to do that for me? And so I jumped out and did it. And so it just feels right to be starting number three. And here we are. Yeah. And I think so many times people wait for like, everything to be right. They're like, Oh, when, when things are right, I'll do this. Or when it, you know, I, when I have free time, I'll do this. And I don't think there's ever a right time because you're always going to have commitments and this and that. It really just, it comes down to like, when are you ready? When do you believe in yourself and you're ready just to take that leap? Take the leap and jump in and it's going to be scary. Oh, I can remember. I was like, I don't know how to do this. And then I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can figure it out. I can get support. People can help me and we can do it. Here we are. (laughs) So every week we are going to start our show with a good news segment. And I think we've um, told you a little bit about that. So today we want to talk about the importance of um, rewarding exceptional customer service. And customer service, I think, is something that a lot of people talk about a lot. Jen and I will talk about it, whether it's good or bad. We'll tell each other what happened. I have a coworker at work. We talk about it. And um, we have really recognized that we, like, talk about the 
bad customer service a lot, but we don't always talk about really great customer service. And one of the members of our Facebook community actually wrote in one day and she said, and this is Barbara, by the way, this is from Barbara. Barbara Fowler, and she said, it seems that finding a great store clerk these days is a rarity. Many of them, when asked where something is, they answer with, that's not my department, or I think it's over there somewhere. So when I run across a particularly helpful or kind employee, I try to get their name off their ID badge, and then I write a note to their store's manager describing their level of service and the particulars of how they helped me. My hope is that the employee will get some well-deserved recognition and that it might lessen the sting of the many rude customers they have to deal with on a daily basis. So that, that kind of leads me to the question is like, what incentive do low-wage customer service employees have to provide exceptional customer service? So I feel like it's up to us as consumers to give them a reason. And I feel like recognition and appreciation goes a long way to fostering really good customer service on their half. You know, that makes me really sad to to read what she wrote about rude customers that they have to deal with on a daily basis. You know, I'm I'm not a rude customer out there. I, I try to always be nice to the to the people, but you know, you you think about it, I bet there are a lot of really rude customers. I mean, you deal with the public in a healthcare environment. Is rudeness just standard sometimes? I feel like it is a lot That's of the really time, sad. sadly. Let's be the sunshine, everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to share with you something that happened to me this week. Um, on Monday, I've been needing to get an eye exam for a long time. My husband's been bugging me to get him one. So I had a list of things I had to get done this week. And eye exam was number one. That was my priority. So first thing, Monday, I called the local Walmart and talked to a gentleman named Josh and asked him if he could get a schedule for an appointment. And he was really frustrated because his computer system was down. And so him and I talked about how that's such a hassle at work. I know it happens to us at the hospital a lot. We're sort of clueless on what we're supposed to be doing at that point. Everything runs on computers these days. But like, he wasn't frustrated, which I noticed right away. A lot of times people take that frustration out on you. Like, how can you be bothering me? My computer's not working right now. Uh, but he was so nice, and he told me, like, he thought that his first possible time to get us in would be, like, mid to late December. And I said, you know, I really wanted something earlier. I might call around and see if I can find something sooner, and if I can't, I'll call you back. And he said, okay, that's no problem. He said, do you want to give me your number, and when my computer comes up, you know, I can call you back if I find something sooner. So I said, Sure. So like he called me back and he said, oh, hey, by the way, my computer's up. I have some openings in November. Do you want them? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'll take that. And then he called about an hour later and he said, you know, I just had a cancellation. I could work you guys in even sooner. And so I said, awesome. Great. You know, I thanked him for calling me back. And then an hour later, he called me again. And my husband said, what, are you guys best friends now? (laughs) (laughs) And... He had called just to verify that my insurance information was correct um, from when I was there last time, and they told him I was no longer a network. And so he's like, hey, I didn't want you to get surprised. We, you know, we'd love to have you, but you might have to pay more this time. And if you have any questions, you might reach out to your insurance company and see what's going on. He said, you know, do you at this point want to keep your appointment? And I said, yeah, I want to keep my appointment. And I'm going to tell you right now, even if 
I have to pay a little bit more. I'm probably still going to go there just because he was so great and he just made me feel welcome and like he wanted my business. And, you know, he just didn't have to do any of that. He never had to call me back once. And he did. So Josh at Atala Alabama Walmart Vision Center. Thank you so much. And if you happen to be shopping at the Walmart in Atala, Alabama, go by the Vision Center, ask for Josh, tell him you heard his name on a podcast and that you heard that he gives great customer service. Awesome. That's a great story. So listeners, we need your stories because you don't want to hear Jen and Sherry's good stories every week of our our good news. Um, And we don't just need to hear good customer service, although we do love to hear about companies that have given exceptional customer service. I want you to send all of your good news stories to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. It can be a shout out to someone special in your life, a special family member, a coworker, anyone in your life. It could be just an amazing story from your community, a feel-good story that we all like to hear, something amazing that's happened in your community. Just anything that you think will be inspirational to other listeners. If you find it to be inspirational, I'm sure that other people will as well. So we look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Again, that's connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I'm going to talk about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a life hack that I really love because I'm always looking for something that makes my life easier, and Beauty Counter is one of those things. I want to use products that are safe for my body, but you know, I've I've noticed over the years that, you know, the list of chemicals on the ingredients labels, if they even have one, they're just long. I don't know what they are. And many of the standard beauty or skincare products have compounds that could even be dangerous. They can mess with your hormones. They may contain heavy metals, including lead or even known carcinogens. There are thousands of compounds that have been banned in Europe but are still being used widely here in the United States. And some of these are even hidden using the word fragrance, which could mean almost anything. So because I don't have time to read every label or research every strange-sounding chemical, I've made it easy by going with Beauty Counter for all of my makeup and skincare needs. I even use their shampoo and conditioner, and I love it. Beauty Counter was founded on a mission to make skincare and makeup products that are safe for your skin, and it's one less thing for me to worry about, and I would love for you to try it as well. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash jenstevens, G-I-N-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S. You can also find that link on the Favorite Things tab at jenstevens.com. So if you order with me on beautycounter.com, something special might happen after you place your first order. So order and see. But make it easy for you. Instead of worrying about reading labels, try Beauty Counter. So let me just follow up on Jen's Beauty Counter little promo there. I am not a person that jumps on the bandwagon. In fact, I kind of... I'm probably the opposite of that. (laughs) You stay (laughs) off the bandwagon. I'm like, if everybody's doing it, I'm not. (laughs) I've been a rebel without a cause for a long time. But a friend of ours, Jen and I were actually in Atlanta like over a year ago now. It was about right about a year ago with a friend. And she was all about her beauty counter and telling us about it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then Jen started using beauty counter. And then Jen was telling me at the beach about how much she likes their shampoo and conditioner. And I'm a big, I do 
I am very careful about what I put on my skin, put on my body, and um, I have been for years. And there's actually an app called Healthy Living. It's EWG Healthy Living. And so before I use anything, I look it up and I see how it scores on that. And so Jen's telling me all about her shampoo and conditioner. And I have been a fan of one shampoo and conditioner for like probably 15 years. And I have really crazy unmanageable hair. So I'm always afraid to try new things. But I took Jen's advice um, and I ordered their shampoo and conditioner. And it is amazing. First of all, it smells great. Second, you don't have to use very much. Like it takes, a, I have a lot of hair. It takes a tiny little bit and it lathers up really nice. It smells great. I don't have to wash my hair twice. Once gets it clean. My hair is like a tangled mess when I wash it, like, like straw. After I washed it, I could actually still run my fingers through it. And then the conditioner felt great too. And then like for two days after washing it, my hair was like smooth and tame. My hair grows like the further out I am from a shampoo, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> and my hair actually looks great today. And I haven't washed it since like Wednesday. So yeah, there's, I mean, if you want to try something, just start with a shampoo and conditioner because it's great. Yeah, I'm telling you, it really is good. And you might have to give it a few days. Like mine wasn't great when I first started using it. It took a, a couple of days for my hair to acclimate to it, but then I really liked it. I tried going back to my old one because I had it at the beach. When I came to the beach, I didn't have my beauty counter shampoo. I had what I used to use. It was Paul Mitchell, and I didn't like it. And so now I have beauty counter at the beach as well. So anyway, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. So let's move on to this week's life lesson. Uh, when we first started our uh, Facebook community, we asked our members, like, what are topics that are really important to them? What do they want to learn more about? What are their struggles? What is going on with their life that they need some support with? And something that kept coming up was help navigating life transitions. And there were many types of transitions that people asked about. For the purpose of today's podcast, Jen and I picked three that were sort of the prevalent requests. Uh, so those that we're going to focus on today are midlife career changes or even starting a career after being a stay-at-home parent. And then many of our parents, our members who are parents, uh, were struggling with how to adjust to an empty nest after their children have gone off to college or left home. That's a big one. And then... Again and again, people said they're preparing for retirement or they're starting to look forward to retirement and they're not sure what they're supposed to be doing, if they're supposed <laughs> yes. to be doing something, <laughs> like how are they supposed to be preparing or they have recently retired and now they're sort of lost and they're not really sure what is their day-to-day -day supposed to look like retired. So we're going to just explore some of that today and and then go over it and share some feedback from some of our members about how they've managed some of these transitions and what worked for them. And then we'll give you some um, information from some experts on it as well. Awesome. Yeah. Two of those are really happening to me right now. So, well, and I really all three, because I did have a career change. I had a career change and an empty nest and started retirement, but in a different kind of way, because since I had the career change and also my husband's about to retire. So really, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is all of us, unless you were not a parent and you didn't have to deal with the empty nest. I feel like this is all of us at some point. At some point. That's and true. I mean, I've had 
can't say career changes so much other than, you know how your careers kind of evolve and you have you have to choose paths to go down, that sort of thing. And then, you know, I just turned 47 and I'm suddenly like, oh, retirement is coming one day. What am I going to do about that? So I think these are all things that people think about and that we just don't often talk about. So Lauren from Pennsylvania, she wrote in and she wants to know, she says, I've been a stay-at-home mom for the last nine years. I'm planning to go back to school for nursing in March. I have a husband who works full-time, so I'm accustomed to being the primary caregiver for our children, plus keeping our house clean and tidy, doing household chores, shopping for groceries, preparing meals, etc. I'm a person who feels overwhelmed by untidiness. I am both nervous and anxious about how I'll maintain semblance and order at home while simultaneously attending school full-time. I'm looking for advice on maintaining my home and my sanity while earning my nursing license. Yeah, that's a great question. Here's actually something that I found to be true. You know, I was a teacher, and so I was home all summer with my kids. We, we had the same break. So I was home, they were home all summer, and then we would all go back to work and school at the same time. I found, actually, this might be counterintuitive, but when I was home all the time, it was harder to keep my house clean. And then when I would go back to work, it actually became easier. Does that sound crazy? When I was at work and they were at school, the house stayed neater than when I was home all day or when they were home with me. Well, if you were at work, they were at school. So that helps. Yeah. But also and you I, had I structure. The same will be true for her. Exactly. You put the structures in. Right. And the structures are what keeps it going. Instead of just you're at home and you just take care of things as they come, you, you get things in routines and rhythms in place. So I was so much more structured and routine driven when I was working and it was easier to keep my house. It, it sounds counterintuitive, but hopefully Laura will find that out. But we've got some suggestions for her. Some of these are actually things that I have used in my household that I know works well. And then others are just things that as I have read about ways to release responsibility. Women feel a great sense of responsibility to manage everything. And I am guilty of that. And I'm really bad about asking for help. But something that you read when you really start exploring this topic is learning how to ask for help and to delegate responsibility. This is true for the workplace, for your home, for whatever. So a family chore board is something that helped my family a lot because people know what the expectations of them are. And so Lauren, like right now, you do everything. You've admitted that. But now it's time to sit down with your family and determine what can they do to lighten your load. And this doesn't have to be forever. This is why you get through school and you transition into the workplace. And you might find that you want to keep some of these forever or you might end up letting them go. But for right now, I think a family chore board would be really helpful. We used a dry erase board that hung in the kitchen and it might change. But it's a visual reminder to your family of what you need help with. And most people want to help others. So they're going to help with that. And then another suggestion is write down everything that you feel needs to be done every week. Just put it down on paper. And then figure out from that list, what are things that have to be done? What are requirements? And what are wants? And take all of the requirements and move them to a new list. And then prioritize those. Give them a number of importance. So number one has to be done every week without fail. And then as you start going through your list every week of things you have to do, check them off on order of importance. And if week after week you find out that you're not getting to something, 
you might move that off of your weekly list and maybe that goes to your monthly or when you have time to get around to it list or maybe that's a thing that you need to now go to your husband or one of your older kids and ask them if they can do that for you. So really getting your family engaged and then realizing that not everything has to be done today is like so important. That's a mindset shift. Yeah, I think that's really that's really key. And, you know, the kids aren't going to remember that everything isn't perfect around the house. They're not they're not going to be stressed about that. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes to priorities, too. Like, what is your priority right now? Is your priority to finish your, you know, your degree and have a career or is your priority to have, you know, a clean and well-managed house? And sometimes we can't have it all. So figure out what your main priority is and then just come to terms with it and accept that. And, you know, really look at the big picture, look down the road and just realize, you know, what is going to matter later. Yep, that's a great point. All right, we have a suggestion here from Lisa from the United Kingdom. And I I love that our community is international already, don't you? I love it. (laughs) Thanks to technology. So Lisa has a tip to help manage the financial risk of changing careers. She said she started a qualification program for her new chosen career on her days off. And then she says, I'm going to read this quote from her. She says, after completing a year, I went part-time in my original job where I could work evenings and weekends. Then I found temporary work for the new career through an employment agency in order to gain practical experience while I was applying for permanent jobs. A month into this, I secured a permanent position and I never looked back. It was so satisfying telling those that said I couldn't do it that I was leaving to start my new career. And I I love how she did this because she didn't just say, all right, I'm done with this one. Now I'm going to do this. I'm going to take these classes. She kind of eased her way in. She scaled back on her old career while getting um, the qualifications she needed for her new one. And then she transitioned into temporary work for the new career and built her experience. And then by the time she was done with everything, she was qualified and ready ready to take on a new position. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I think she did. She was really smart about the way she went about this. I always look at goals as a stair step and your your ultimate goal is at the top of the stairs. And you can't just go from the bottom of the landing to the top of the stairs without taking each step to get there. And so that's really what she did. She had steps in place that she had to achieve to get to her goal at the top. So I think she did a great job. I love that suggestion because you just think you like flip a switch and you're going from one thing to the other, but having a plan, that that was great. Yeah. Another one of our members, Shauna from New York, she shared a story and I actually really loved this and it actually made me do a little research into this. She says, regarding career changes and interviews, first, you are never stuck. Life is far too short to stay in a job you hate or does that does not breathe life into you. And I love that quote. I do too. Don't be afraid to apply for that job that seems like a reach. And when you get that interview, and you will, research the heck out of the company beforehand. I was told that when I interviewed last year for my position, that they already had a top candidate. But when they got to me, they could not believe how well I'd done my homework and spoke with confidence at the interview. I had three, actually. What a great feeling. And I finally landed a great position that I love and that actually values me. So... I do love this because I do believe that passion counts for so much. And that took me down this whole rabbit hole of, do companies hire based off of how passionate you are about your job? 
And I found out that, yes, they do. Dan Finnegan, he's the president and CEO of Jobvite. He wrote an article in Inc. Magazine. I'm going to read you a little short blurb that he wrote because I think it just explains this so well. He said, work is work, folks. It's hard day in and day out. Of course, you can have fun doing it, but it's not supposed to be nonstop entertainment, as a lot of young folks often think when they're just starting out in a career. Think about professional basketball players. Sure, they're playing a game that looks like a dream job on the court, but they put in hours upon hours of practice every day. Tedious running and shooting over and over again. It is very difficult for the players who love it and more so for the players that don't. If they didn't really love playing, the best players wouldn't subject themselves to that pain every day, but they know that it is what's required to be the best and they love working toward that goal. Passionate employees are the same. They get up and keep trying until they get it right because they enjoy trying. That's why passion is a vital asset to any company, more important than how many years of schooling or experience someone has. Passionate employees don't approach obstacles as burdens, but rather as interesting problems to solve on the path toward achieving their goals. Yeah, I think that's important. The part that he said at the beginning um, that it's not supposed to be nonstop entertainment. You know, I was a teacher for 28 years, and it's almost like we have, you know, we, we've always tried to make school engaging for our, our young kids and have them enjoy it. But it's almost like then we've we've not taught them that, you know, life is not going to be, every every moment is not going to be entertaining and and fun. And, you know, your, your boss is not going to turn it into a game for you like your teacher did, right? So... <laughs> Sometimes, you know, even even at a job you love, you know, I was a teacher and I loved it. But you know what I didn't enjoy? I didn't enjoy report card time when that came around. And it was just one of those things that you have to do. You have to have to do all the good parts and the the bad parts of your job. So I don't know. How do we teach our kids that a little bit better? I don't know. I don't know. But I think anybody can really look at their work and you know, you've worked with that person that you walk in and you're like, good morning. And they turn around, they look at you and they say, welcome to hell. Right. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, we've all had wow. that coworker. <laughs> wow. I'm so happy to be here now. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that's like, I think I'm super passionate about my work and I love my work. I mean, it doesn't might mean that I don't have days that I don't go and I grumble. But all in all, there aren't very many days that I'm like, I don't want to go to work today. So like, if you don't feel that passion for your job, Maybe it's time to explore what your passion really is. Yeah, I think that's great. And and you think about all the things you love doing, and you can find a way to turn that into your career. Yes. I do believe that you should not suffer through your work. You should enjoy your work. I mean, you spend what? I mean, I don't even know, 25% of your life at work, probably. But, you know, I also, you know, I was talking to my son, my younger son, Will, and he is 21 and working as a musician. Um, and, you know, he's he's a songwriter and in a band and they just recorded their second song yesterday. He's just bootstrapping it. But he was working in food service and he talked about how much he hated going to work. And I said, you know, I loved, I worked at Long John Silver's. Do you remember Long John Silver's? Oh, yes. My high oh, my God, I loved working there. Oh, well, I worked at Long John Silver's in high school. And I loved it. But you know why I loved it? Because I went in with a great attitude and I enjoyed my coworkers. And so I could have seen it as drudgery and I left smelling like like fried fish every day. But I have really fond memories because it's, it is what you make it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's important. So you could love whether you're working at Long John Silver's or whether you're recording a song. Yep. Yeah. It is definitely, and your attitude is contagious too. So if you want your coworkers to be, you know, excited, then you'd be excited. Maybe it'll rub off a little bit. I could really have fun doing anything though. That's me. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Steph Brown from Alabama wrote in, this sort of deals with uh, life transition, career transition, empty nest. Uh, She says, dealing with a career change and an empty nest. In 2017, my youngest started his senior year of high school. I realized that my time as a stay-at-home mom was ending, but I did not know what to do next. I still wanted some flexibility, so I chose to start taking real estate classes. In March 2018, my oldest son left to join the Peace Corps and live in another country for two years. In May of 2018, my youngest graduated high school and left for cadet training. It was the first time in our marriage that my husband and I were alone. We took the time to do the things we had not been able to do. I started a new career and we impulse bought a house. She says, we are bad, empty nesters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think it's important. You just have a new nest for your your transition. We did the same thing. (laughs) Well, I happen to know Steph. She bought a project house. So oh, her that's husband fine. and her, I mean, this is the ultimate challenge. You ever do construction work with your husband? Me personally, no. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tried to put a piece of furniture together with your husband? Well, I do all those all of that. Oh, okay. And it if can I be can't challenging. physically yeah, if I can't physically manage something, he comes and helps me. But I'm better <laughs> at reading directions and doing things yeah. like that. <laughs> so she says, um, so we gave ourselves times to enjoy the time without the kids. Transitions are scary, but my advice is to just go for it. We only have one life, so enjoy it to its fullest. I had some guilt in the beginning about finally making myself a priority, but I realized that it's really okay to put myself first. So I'll tell you how I know, Steph. I um, was going to buy a house after I moved here, and I'd rented for a while, and I had a really bad house buying experience in my past, so I was sort of terrified of buying my house. So while I wanted it, I was also like trying to talk myself out of it. And so I think I sent her a text message or an email about a house that kind of caught my eye. And she called me right away. And she's like, well, let's go look at it. And I gave her every reason under the sun why I wasn't going to go look at that house. I was like, oh, I haven't had a shower. I'm in my robe. I haven't, I'm drinking coffee. I don't know if I can buy a house. I'm scared to buy a house. And she's just like, look, I'm not doing anything. I can jump in my car and meet you there. Just because you look doesn't mean you have to buy. She's like, just come look at it. It'll be fun. And she didn't really take no for an answer. And I'm like, okay. So I got in the car, went and met her. And the thing I loved about her is that she first off told me right away that she's a new realtor. I think maybe she'd only sold one house before she sold me my house. She was very upfront about that. And then if she didn't know anything or something, she knew a lot, but if she didn't know something that I asked her, she'd be like, oh, let me ask my mentor. And she had a a mentor within the um, realtor office that she worked at who helped her through the whole process of how to sell me a house and what did she need to do. And so I felt like I was being taken care of not only by her, but because she had somebody helping her transition into this new career. So she was learning. um, I was learning right along with her. She just had passion for this and she was open and she was excited and it just drew me to her instantly. So within, I think, two days, I ended up buying a house. Now when things go wrong with my house, I just look at my husband. I say, blame this on Steph. 
<laughs> Things are going to go wrong with the house. That is just the thing to know. <laughs> they so. don't tell you that before you buy a house. Things are going to go wrong. <laughs> right yes. now, I have no dishwasher. Did I talk about that on episode one? I don't know. It's been um, it's been two weeks, three weeks. How long has it been since I haven't had a dishwasher? They can't bring me one for another week. I think it's been three weeks now that you haven't I had a dishwasher. I went the next day. As soon as my dishwasher broke, I went the next day and we ordered one. But it, it's just they are backed up. Listen, y'all, Jen has to have a dishwasher. It's part of her, like, daily habits. She does not know what to do with herself without a dishwasher. And we stayed at her condo at the beach earlier this summer, and her dishwasher was leaking there, and we couldn't use it, and she was beside herself. So. It's true. So I, I'm just having dishwasher <laughs> issues everywhere I go, <laughs> learning some patience in life and learning that I'm not a good dishwasher, Sherry. I'm bad at washing dishes by hand. I'm good at a lot of things. That's not one of them. My husband would probably tell you I'm really bad at washing dishes by hand as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love that story about Steph and that she, you know, she was having the the empty nest and she decided I'm going to do something I love. And she became a realtor. Yep. She's doing great. I think if you love houses and you love people and you love helping people and you're persistent, that it's a really good career for you. I have a great realtor um, in Augusta. We're actually looking for some investment property there as well because my husband, um, Chad, his dad and his grandfather on, on both sides of the family, they each had investment property. So it's something he's always kind of wanted to do now that he's about to retire in a couple years from teaching chemistry. So he's like, what am I going to do? And I think he wants to follow in his dad and his granddad's footsteps and, you know, tinker around on rental houses and go and and do. And it's it's just what he saw. And so our realtor is fabulous. She's ha- you have to be patient, <laughs> but she's helping <laughs> us try to find something. That's great. All right. So what do the experts have to say about midlife career changes? So Sherry found an expert. Ken Coleman. Have you listened to him before? Have you heard his radio show? I have not heard his radio show. Um, While I was doing a bunch of this research, his name kept coming up, though. Over and over again. Yeah. So apparently he was a man who, like, settled into a career that he did not enjoy. And he was like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And so he really just like rebranded himself and just started to follow his passion. And as a result of that, he started writing books and helping other people change their life and find their passion. Yeah, I think that's so important because... You know, you can start to feel like there you can't change, but you can. So we're going to share some of his tips. From You found an article that he wrote on DaveRamsey.com with his best tips. And so um, we'll have a link to the article in the show notes. But here's one of his tips that I think is fantastic. He says, change your mindset and overcome any fears that might be holding you back. He says that one of the biggest obstacles people face is feeling like they don't have enough time to invest in a new career with the family responsibilities and their other life commitments. Well, we've already told you a couple of examples from listeners who made the time. They found the time. It's never too late to to go back to school and, and learn something new. You know, I'm I'm 51 and fully doing something new with my life that 10 years ago I couldn't have imagined making a career change at this age. Absolutely. He also says to keep, you know, you fa- you first you have to face your fears. So to face your fear, you have to identify the fear, name it, write it down. And I love this. He says to say, fear is a liar. 
Replace the fear with a truth and repeat the truth over and over again so it becomes louder than the fear. Fear is what really holds us back, right? Absolutely. You know, when I was going to start my solo podcast, I was like, what if what if nobody likes this format? What if no one wants to listen? And today I just recorded episode 128. I get that feeling, Jen. Yeah. I'm sitting in that chair right now. <laughs> you're there. You're there. But, you know, people want to hear stories of hope. They want to hear things that are positive. They want to learn something. Yes. Yep, they do. And we have something valuable to say. He also says, find out what it is you want to do. What are your natural talents? What's your passion? What gives you energy and makes you feel alive? What problems do you want to solve? Or what specific group of people do you want to help? And, you know, that makes me think back to my childhood. Every report card I ever had said, Jen talks to people too much. (laughs) And, you know, so now my job is talking to people. And it always has been. When I was the teacher, I was talking to people. So, you know, even if, if whatever, whatever your natural talents are, find them. I feel like we might have had the same teacher. Pretty sure my report card said the same The thing. same exact thing. One of them <laughs> wrote, Jen's tongue must be hinged in the middle. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and I had a teacher in, in middle school. Mr. Beamer was his name. This is in rural Virginia. And he would say, your mouth is running like the James River. <laughs> We're going to have to dam up that river. He would always say that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Mr. Beamer, my mouth is still running like the James River. I just had a vision of you with your jaw wired shut. No, that would never happen. I don't even know how you, would, you wouldn't survive. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> and then finally, you know, if you have the idea of, of going to a new career, well, actually, this isn't finally. This is the last one I'm going to state before Sherry says some. But um, find out what skills you need to learn to qualify for the job you want and make a list of the education, training, and experience that are, that's required. And, you know, take it step by step. You know, like, for example, if you want to be a realtor, going back to the other example, what do you need to do? And then, you know, what's it going to be like once you have that career? What are the, the things you're going to need to have in place? So start making those plans and think about it. Talk to people who already have the, that career that you're interested in. They can be your best source of advice instead of being afraid. People are glad to help you. Like um, Steph, your realtor, she had a mentor. You know, I, I feel like, you know, in many ways, Melanie Avalon mentored me when I was, was starting my podcast. And I'm, I'm here. Yes. Mentoring, mentoring you. me. It all comes full circle. It does. So he also suggests that you want to make a budget to fund your career change so that you have a financial plan. This will help you feel more empowered to move forward. Estimate how much your education will cost and then build that into your family budget. Be prepared to spend longer than usual obtaining any formal education If your finances require that you continue to work full or part time while you're getting your education. So just because, you know, somebody who is just out of high school and they're on mom and dad's dime can do this, you know, training in two years or four years, it may take you longer and that's okay. So he says, just be prepared as a family to adjust and cut back during that time and just have a family plan to ensure your success. And then as far as the formal education, a lot of Careers don't require formal education. You can just learn some new skills. So you could take some classes at the community college, take evening classes, 
perhaps take some classes at a tech school, start looking for companies that do on-the-job training for something that you want to do. A lot of companies offer on-the-job training. And a recent study found out that 84% of companies are willing to hire and train candidates who lack the required skills for a job. That comes back to that whole passion. If you can go in and you can sell yourself to a company and explain to them why they need you, they might be willing to give you the the training that you need to do the job that you're trying to obtain. Because the right personality and work ethic and willingness to to learn, that's what they want. Absolutely. You know, somebody who doesn't have the skills but is, you know, willing to come in and work hard and have a great personality and get along with others, you know, because those are all the things that that you see in the workplace that managers and, you know, I was a teacher. So, of course, the principals have to deal with the administration, has to deal with people who can't work with others. So if you just come in and demonstrate you can work with others and you're you're willing to learn. That counts for a lot. It counts for a lot because really that is most of the struggle in the workplace. Yes. And his next tip is exactly what we've been talking about, and it's ask professionals to mentor you. People want to help you. They like to help people succeed. And many companies are also starting to waive college degree requirements. They have found they believe in life experience more so than a college degree. And I know this really does count for a lot. In fact, a lot of colleges give you college credits for life experience. I love that. I mean, I, th- I think that's wonderful because you know, here's here's a funny story. Chad, you know, has been teaching organic chemistry and, and other chemistry courses at the college level for his whole career. And at one time, he was considering leaving the college setting and going to teach at a high school, but he doesn't have a teaching degree, so he couldn't couldn't go teach high school. And I'm like, that's so ironic that you know you can't. He's he'd been teaching and he doesn't have the right qualifications. But and so he was like, well, I'd have to go back to school. But really, shouldn't he have gotten credit for all the the years, decades? So, that he's I mean, been that's almost the, like so he's not teaching at college. Well, he is. Yeah. Right. But he doesn't have a teaching certificate. Yes. That you have to have, you know. Yeah. That is funny. <laughs> so it's crazy. Yeah. It's a different. We jump through. The, yep. Yeah. Abs- he would ha- he would have to go back to school and get a teaching degree. Yeah. And one of the things I notice in the hospital setting, we have a lot of women who come in after their kids are raised or once their kids get into high school and they go to work as we call them patient care techs, like in the emergency room. They just help get the patients bedded, get them gowned, assist them to the bathroom, that sort of thing. And they do it because they think they might want to go to nursing school. And what I've heard emergency room nurse managers say is that they are always going to hire that mom over a college student or somebody like that, because these people have that care experience. They have cared for sick children for how many years and sick spouses. And so they really do notice life experience when it comes to hiring for something like that. I think that's important. So let's talk about being an empty nester now. That's what we're going through now at our house. It's been, gosh, though, time is flying. It's been almost a year that we've had an empty nest. And it it just, it's, it's been a good year because you really, when you have an empty nest, those of you that are not there yet, you're going to find you have a different relationship with your kids after they leave that you never had while they were there. But, you know, what now? Yeah, it's definitely, it comes down to, to like, what? 
what what do I do with myself? I know my son left when he was 17, which sounds young, but he moved to Alabama with me when he was 14. And he just didn't really ever find his identity here. It just never felt like home to him. So he made the decision to go back with his dad in Colorado and finish his high school out there. And I was pretty upset. Like I supported his decision 100% and I wanted him to be happy and to be where he wanted to be. But I was upset because I was suddenly like, well, who am I now? Like, I'm not a mom anymore. That's how I felt. And then I would say that to myself. I'd be like, you're not a mom anymore. And then I'm like, no, you're still a mom. You're just, you're just a different mom. And I really had to learn what that role was. And I finally realized it's not, I'm no longer his motivator. It's not my job to get him out of bed and make him go to school and coax him into getting good grades and make sure that he does his chores and make sure he's fed. And, you know, like that is no longer my role. And I kind of had a transition into um, more of a friend role. And we talk all the time, you know, hear people talk about, you know, as a parent, you're not supposed to be your kid's friend. And I, I do believe that to me. I believe you can be your kid's friend, but I also believe that your number one job is to be a parent. And I took that very seriously. And once he left my house, then we did transition into more of a friendship role. That's when I think it it changes. I think you're exactly right. Because I've heard that same saying too, don't try to be your child's friend. But I think that's while you're raising them and while they're still at home. Then if you've done a good job, I guess, if, well, not, not, not if you've done a good job, because there's a lot that goes into it. You could have do a great job and things could still not go well because children have their personalities too, right? But hopefully, hopefully the goal is that they are self-sufficient and you can then cross into that that friend relationship with your child because there is no better feeling than having an adult child that you feel like is a friend. Yes. And I think it's scary for parents to let go of that because you, like, you're so responsible for your kids, right? Like, you are that's it. That's your job from the time you give birth is like, I am responsible for this person. I have to make sure they're successful and they're happy and they're taken care of. And now suddenly they're out in the world. And now my son's getting ready to turn 21. Jen's just turned 21. Her other son's what? 23? He's 22. 22. So, I mean, all of, both of our kids are out in the world now. And my son is currently living in Texas at a job. And he recently contacted me and told me he's not going to stay there. He's been there since June. He doesn't like it. And he's changed his path. He's going to go back to school in California. And of course, the mom me says, oh my gosh, what is he doing? Can't he just stick with something? But he's got a plan. He's happy about his plan. And ultimately, I just want him to be happy. I mean, that's what it comes down to. That's all. That's what really matters. So I try to throw some like different viewpoints at them. I'll be like, well, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about that? But I think the biggest thing is, is that we have to give our young adult children that freedom to, to make mistakes and to learn from themselves. Because let me tell you, I mean, I'm as hard as they come. And my parents would tell me, don't do that. That's a bad idea. And I'm like, whatever. And I'm going to do it just because you told me not to. So yeah, I mean, it's, It is definitely a different time and it feels stressful. And I really mourned my son when he left for months. And then I finally was just like, okay, it's going to be okay. He still loves me. He still, I I felt like he was leaving me forever. 
and they're not leaving forever. When something exciting happens, he calls me. If something bad happens, he calls me. And we're still we're still connected. He's still my son. So it'll be That's okay. Important. I was ready for mine to go. <laughs> he went to college and then dropped out of college and came home, which which actually was he called me and said, I'm miserable and this is not what I want to do anymore. And he was at a very expensive college. He said, Can I come home? And I said, Well, can you stick out till the end of the of the quarter? And he said, I really don't want to. I'm wasting my time. And I'm like, All right, come home. Just come home. And he was home for about a, a year before he moved out again? He was home for over a year. I can't even remember. It all kind of blends together. It was it was a year and a half. Well, just over a year. It was just over a year from the time he dropped out mid-quarter. Just over a year. And it was really hard. It was hard having him back home. And then I was ready for him to move out. I was like, all right, go. Time to go. Don't come back. <laughs> I love you. out of the nest. I love you, but don't come back. <laughs> he was ready to go, too. <laughs> yes. He might have needed that push. He did. He, he needed it. So we've got some stuff from listeners. You want to share one? Julia in Colorado shared... She said, what helped me most with the empty nest was just to keep busy and plan activities with my husband. Renewing interest in hobbies and having something to look forward to really helped me adjust. And I really enjoy the cleaner house and the freedom to do as I please. Uh, yep, yeah, that's that's a good one. You don't have to worry about having a child in the house anymore. The fr- you have a lot of freedom with that. You do have freedom. Yep. All right. So we also have from Yvonne. Yvonne says, my husband and I are empty nesters. We raised six children, but the last to leave, and who was the youngest, left me nostalgic and a bit sad. It's a huge transition after many, many years of mothering to have no children at home. It didn't affect my husband as much as it did me because, for the most part, I was able to be a stay-at-home mom. I read books on this subject, But the one thing that stands out and helped me tremendously was realizing that after all of those busy years bringing up our kids, we can now enjoy this second half together as well. So I think if we just focus on what we're losing out on and that close everyday connection with our kids, it might feel harder than it needs to be. So if you can really reframe it and ask the question, what are we now gaining? What can I do with this free time? What have I always wanted to do? You know, what things have my partner and I put off because we're too busy with kids' responsibilities or financial responsibilities that we don't have now? So really look at it as your job is done and now you get to make that commitment to you and to your spouse and move forward with the things that maybe you've put on the back burner while you raise kids. So... And it's all about finding new routines. Yes. And a new purpose, probably. Which transitions into our next topic, which is retirement. Yeah. So Kathy Whitehurst shares a retirement tip. And she said, as a retired elementary teacher, I still find myself holding a morning meeting and having a planner for upcoming goals. I use what always worked for me in my work life to transition from working full-time to retired life. And I just think that's really smart. Sticking with your routine that you know, that you're familiar with, and um, not just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. That's true. I really did keep my my routine. I was even getting up at the same time and, you know, same exact getting up, making the coffee, unloading the dishwasher while my, my coffee brews. And then I would all usually actually I would take a shower first before that's the only thing that's changed. I changed my shower to later in the morning instead of right before. 
Just ease into so, your day a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, I don't have to, you know, be showered because <laughs> I don't have to run out the door. So I, I have my coffee and and take the time then, and then I'll shower later and get ready for the day. All right, so we have something with from Mary from Columbus, Ohio. She asks, I love my career and work, and I just finished up my MBA, and suddenly I have the urge to retire. My husband is nine years older. I'm 54, and he just announced his retirement. I had not even considered it before now. I thought I would work until I'm 60. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe I'm tired and fatigued from this past year. I'm afraid I'm making this decision for the wrong reason, or maybe it's the right reason and circumstances have changed. How do you know when it's time? I'm afraid of making a rash decision and having regrets. I love my current job, yet I feel I could easily let it go right now. Or am I just responding to this weird moment in time? Maybe that's what the universe is telling me to do. How do I evaluate what's right? You know, I actually have a suggestion for Mary, and I wonder if she's just having retirement envy because her husband announced that he's retiring. And I've heard my sister say that, which is why it popped into my head. Her husband was talking about retiring, and she's like, well, if he retires, I'm retiring. And it's kind of a feeling of, well, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. My advice to Mary would be, I would just wait a little bit just to see. And, you know, there's a lot going on. Let him retire and see if if it's retirement envy or if you really do feel like work is not right for you now. You'll know. You'll know pretty soon. Give it a little bit of time. And and as soon as you, you know, see what it's like for him at home, you might be like, yeah, I need to be there too. I'm going to retire. Or you might find the new normal and realize you're not ready to retire. What do you think, Sherry? Well, so I think, one, life is just weird right now. It's sort of weird. It's overwhelming. I think we're all living with stress that we may not even recognize, but that it's showing up in different ways. I don't know how much of her, like, she brought up the fact that she just finished her MBA, and then she's, like, suddenly thinking about retirement. So I don't know how much of that is kind of, like, guilt, like, I did this maybe I should be using it. And I just want to say, I went back to school when I was 35 and got my degree in healthcare management. And once I got done with it, I realized I did not want to pursue a management track. I'm happy in patient care and I don't want to leave that. And I still have that. Um, I did it. It's an accomplishment. It makes me feel proud of myself, but I don't use it. And I could one day, but I don't right now. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. I think really right now, you just need to figure out like what is in your heart. And like Jen, I would give it a little while and see how you feel in time. And, you know, maybe maybe you're not ready to retire, but maybe you want to cut back a little bit and spend some time with your husband while he's retired. So maybe you could move into a part-time position. And from there, you know, you're going to have a better idea of what you really feel like doing. And second, say you retire and you regret it. You go back to work. My grandpa retired twice. So, <laughs> I mean, there, just because you retire doesn't mean you have to stay retired. Look at Jen. That's right. Well, <laughs> I retired from one and came to the next. I really knew, like, I love teaching. And every summer I was always um, excited for the new school year to start back until that last year. That last year, I was sitting at the dinner table one night, realized I only had a week off before it was time to go back to work, and I started to cry. And that was the day I knew that teaching was over for me. You know, I couldn't not go back. I had a, a contract. I had a year. I couldn't afford to stay home. I had to, you know, finish up that year. 
But that was when I knew it was time to make my exit plan. You know, if you're crying (laughs) with the thought of going back to work, but I never felt like that before. Then all of a sudden, I felt that way. And I enjoyed my last year because I I spoke my mind a little bit more because I knew I was leaving. And <laughs> I think you found a new passion. You found something well, else that you I did. were passionate and, about. And I knew that teaching was actually taking the time. Like I had to be there all, and, and I couldn't do the things I, I wanted to do. Like I wanted to write a new book and I didn't have time to do all those things because I, I was, you know, I was going to say nine to five, but it wasn't. It was eight to four. <laughs> I was eight to four in it every day. So when you really know, you know, listen to those feelings. So several members asked some variation of the question, you know, once you retire, what do you do with your time? Yeah, I don't know what to do with my time. What do people do? Here's a big one for me, lacking the social connection that I received at work and how do people stay connected? You know, the work I'm doing is on the internet and I'm connected with people virtually, but I don't see real people. And I'm actually missing out on that real connection. So what are some things we can do to stay connected, Sherry? Well, to me, it seems like just because you have, so like you wrap your whole like energy up in work while you're working, right? And then you don't often have time to do things that you're really passionate about, like your interests, your hobbies, you know, maybe you want to join a quilting club or you want to learn to paint or you want to do a book club, but you just never took the time to do that. Retirement is the perfect time to really explore your hobbies and your passions. And if you're like stuck and you're not sure where to start, you know, look into your community. Do you have a senior center? Do you have a community center? Do they have you know, programs and clubs for people to meet. You can join travel clubs. My grandmother was single and she really wanted to travel and she worked hard her whole life. And then when she got to retirement, she didn't feel safe traveling. So she joined a travel club and she went all over the world with her travel club. My grandmother did that. My my grandmother on, on my dad's side, she traveled everywhere with her group of friends. I had I had forgotten about that till just now. She brought back a spoon from everywhere she went. My grandmother did the same thing. She would she had bring a spoon me one. Collection. She would yeah. bring me one. Like, I had a spoon grandma, collection. little tiny spoon. They were yes. little tiny spoons. Did you ever try to eat with them? I did not. Okay, well I did. They hung on my bedroom <laughs> wall though. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then the other suggestion I have, um, I actually did some research into this and they said that because people lack a feeling that they are needed, people need to feel needed. That People need to put themselves in situations or positions where people depend on them. And this was a great suggestion I read. And they said that hundreds of thousands of dollars are lost by wage earners every year with sick children because they cannot go to work and because they cannot take their kid to daycare if they're even running a low-grade fever. So maybe they're not extremely ill, but they can't go to daycare and mom and dad can't go to work. And so one thing they said was that if you don't mind caring for sick children, I mean, most people by retirement age have cared for their own sick children or sick grandchildren. Lots of people don't have family close to them. So if you know of a young family, reach out to them, let them know that you would be available for drop-in, you know, sick childcare. (laughs) And, um, you know, that helps you feel like you've, you know, really served a purpose. You've helped your community. You've helped, you know, your neighbor. It just really, helps you stay involved with other people as well. That's a that's a great suggestion because I can remember all those times when my kids were young and, and they would be sick and 
I don't know, it always fell on me. I was the one staying home. It wasn't my husband. He never missed a college class, but it was always me. And, you know, you get to the point where you're like, I just really can't take a day off. You know, I, I need I need to go to work. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Yeah. All right. Catherine from Virginia Beach asks, as someone who is a good 20 years from retirement, what are some things that you wish you would have done earlier to prepare for the transition? That is a good one. Yeah. And Julia asks, we are transitioning to retirement. How do you figure out how much money you need to live? Do most people use a financial advisor? We plan to, but we have not hired one yet. Any input is appreciated. I'm trying not to worry. And I think this comes up a lot. People start really thinking about finances. I know that's where I am now at 47 is like, wow, hmm, I really need to start thinking about how I'm going to pay my bills when I want to retire. And funny story, my husband said, you have plenty of time. I don't know why you're worried about that. And I said, well, in 20 years from now, I won't be earning a paycheck. And he said, you don't think you'll be working 20 years from now? I said, honey, in 20 years, I'll be 67. And he's like, you don't think you can do your job at 67? <laughs> Listen, maybe I can, maybe I can't, but I would rather be lying on a beach somewhere. So, Or volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I maybe not even mind going in every once in a while just for fun because I do love my job, but it would be nice to know that I did not have to go to work at 67. So what do the experts have to say about that? Um, they do say you need to work with a financial planner and an investment professional, that even if you think you know what you're doing with investment, that you are not a professional and you need to work with one. And it's never too soon to start preparing. That's the thing that's so important. You know, if you've got 20 years left in your career, that's a much better time to be focusing on it than when you have 10 years left in your career. It's so hard to catch up. And one of the articles I read really was geared for people who were 45 years old, who suddenly hit 45 and went, whoa, I'm going to retire in 20 years. What now? And so they said, if you're 45 years old, starting the day you turn 45, you need to start saving 15% of your income, which is a lot. And I'm going to say, I'm not at 15% of my income. And that I took notice of that. I was like, huh, okay. They also tell you to work really hard to pay off your home before retirement. They said to work with mortgage companies and find out what kind of plans they have, what kind of financing they offer, and how you can get your home paid off well before retirement. And can I pop in something there? Uh-huh. Look at different mortgage links when you're when you're buying a home. When we when we bought our home just over a year ago, we were talking about you know getting a 15 year mortgage. And I'm like, well, what about a 10 year mortgage? What what's the difference between a 15 and a 10? And she's like, oh, it's not going to save you that much. She was talking about payment wise, it wasn't going to save us that much. And I'm like, well, go ahead and pull up the amortization schedule for me. And so she did. And the amount of savings that we will have over the that just the difference between 10 years and 15 years is huge. It's a huge amount of money. So get the shortest mortgage you can and or or pay it off early. You can pay extra every month. Even if you had a 30-year mortgage, if you make extra principal payments every month. That was a suggestion they made too, because it can cost you thousands of dollars to refinance your current mortgage. The other suggestion is to pay in an extra $500 a month. And that that in itself could pay your loan off as quickly as 10 to 15 years sooner. 
So then they also say that if you feel like maybe you're not financially able to retire comfortably, to take the age 65 of your head and don't even consider 65 as your retirement, set your goal at 70 because he says, if you are to save $800 a month between the ages of 45 and 65, at the ages of 65, you would have $700,000 in your nest egg. But if you were to continue to work for five more years with the interest compounded on your savings, that you would retire with $1.2 million. So by working five more years, you would have a half million more dollars to spend in your retirement. And then he says, if you do not feel that you would mentally or physically feel like working to 70 is feasible for you, or it's just not something you want to do, that to consider getting a side hustle, get a part-time job, do something you enjoy to make extra money, put that money towards retirement. You could rent out a room. You can downsize your home. Once your children are all out, um, by downsizing your home, you're going to uh, be able to pay off your house quicker and you'll lower your utility payments, which is more money that you can save for your retirement. And he wants to emphasize that if you do not have a retirement plan, it is never, ever too late to get one. But get one today. Don't wait. Do it now if you don't. Both my husband and I were very lucky. We were in pension pension plans with teacher retirement. So, But we were very lucky. You know, I get teacher retirement until, until I die, and he will too. So... But my sister, she's worked really hard, and they, she, my sister and her husband have really put the money away. They've been planning for it their whole lives, and so they're going to retire with with a nice nest egg. That's nice. It I, is. It, listen, listeners, if you're, like, under 40, listen to me. <laughs> Don't wait till you're 47 Don't wait till you're uh-oh. 47. Listen, my dad <laughs> told me when I was 27. Uh, retirement's going to be coming up sooner than you know it. You need to really start saving. And I'm like, I got years. And then I blinked and I'm 47 and I'm like, whoa, I'm going to blink again and be retired. So before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And that is Shapa. What is Shapa? Well, several months ago, I saw an advertisement for a new scale that I just knew could be life-changing for people. As many of you know, Jen runs some Facebook groups for intermittent fasters, and I'm a moderator for her group. And every day, we see people who are struggling with their emotional connection to the scale. And what the scale says, what it reports to them every morning, really impacts their day, how they feel about themselves that day what their food choices are that day, whether they have a good day or a bad day. And this scale can fix that. It does not give you a weight. There is not even a weight readout on this scale. It connects to an app that gives you a color. That color represents how your body weight is trending. It averages your weights and it only tells you your trend. So you don't see the day-to-day fluctuations that are normal for a person's weight. A lot of people think they're on a diet and every day they get on the scale and every day the scale should go down a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, and that's not reality. And so Shapa has gone and they take the data and they give you a, a trending average. And that average is going to be represented by a color in their app And so depending on what color you get, it tells you your progress. So green, I always think of green as good. Green means you're maintaining. But if you start to lose a little weight, then 
the color changes. And if you start to lose a little bit more, it color the color changes again. If you start going the wrong direction, it'll change to a different color and it'll tell you that maybe you need to make some different choices. It also gives you some tips within the app on how to do that. So by using this scale, you no longer have to be emotionally tied to those ups and downs of a regular scale. And Jen and I both have this scale now. We both find it really helpful. A lot of our members in our groups have the scale and they love it as well. So right now you can get the scale for free and we have a code that will save you $20 off a one-year subscription for the app. Go to myshapa.com and use the code LIFELESSONS. That's one word, no space, life lessons when you check out. Perfect. And I'm, I'm going to say, this is the scale that got me back on the scale after not weighing myself since, what was it, 2017? I got the scale because I don't have to see the number. And some people are confused by the color a little bit. They think that every day you're going to get on and see a different color, and that's not how it works. It's not a color instead of a fluctuation. The color only represents your long-term trend. So if your daily weight is up, you're not going to get the color for up unless your overall trend is actually up. So that that's just an important distinction. You know, I I get on the scale. I've never seen any any up color since I got mine. And I'm certain my weight has fluctuated up from day to day here and there, but I've never gotten on and seen that my trend is gaining weight. I've always seen green or teal. I even had a little bit of blue in there right after blue is the losing the most weight. That was right after I stopped drinking wine every day. I saw some blue. My weight dropped a, a, a good little bit. I mean, I don't know what the number was. I still don't know the number. I haven't seen a number since 2017, but I really enjoy getting on there and seeing green in the morning. I really love that it doesn't make your number your value. It just tells you it's more feedback on like, is what you're doing working? Do you need to tweak some more or is what you're doing not working and you really need to reevaluate what you're doing? Because it is nice to have feedback. You know, I haven't gotten on a scale because I've been maintaining. The last time I got on a scale and saw a number, the number made me mad because I thought it should be lower than it was. And that's the day I threw my scale away. But now I don't have to see a number. I don't know what my number is, but I know that I feel good in my clothes and, and just having that feedback is very helpful for me. Absolutely. All right. So next we have a segment we call our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Joan from Houston. Joan says, I love to cook. Finally got all of my recipes organized by type. So when my now adulting kids need a specific recipe or idea, I can find it easily for them. I loved the recipe cards that my mom had, so I've saved those, but the always expanding collection I finally put on an app so I can quickly and easily share them and modify them. Plus, honestly, some of the recipes are too long to put on an index card. I guess I'm more of an adventurous cook than my mom, or my kids and husband are more adventurous eaters than a young me perhaps a bit of both. I use the Paprika 3 app. I have different colored binders on the counter with all the recipes inside, appetizers, beverages, and snacks and breads, muffins and rolls, cookies and desserts, meat and seafood, pasta and potatoes, rice and grains, soups, stews and sauces, and salads and salads, dressings, and vegetables and fruits. 
By the way, Sherry, I actually love that app too. Paprika. Yeah. Have you used it? Oh yeah. I've been telling people about Paprika for years. It Me changed too. my since, life. Since my very first iPad, I mean, years ago, a friend of mine told me about Paprika because you can go to a website and click on the recipe and it like imports it. And then you can change the values and it makes a shopping list for you. It's fabulous. I used to save my recipes like in my Facebook saved files. And then sometimes they'd be in bookmarks on my tablet. And then sometimes they would be or like a photo I of mean, them. Yeah. And so now I just drop it in my Paprika app. And my favorite thing that Joan didn't share is that you can make a grocery shopping list. So if you know you're going to make like four recipes that week, you just drop that recipe into your shopping list. And then if you're like me and you forget things at the store you're supposed to buy, even when they're on your list, (laughs) (laughs) what I do is I pull up the shopping list and then I delete the item as I buy it. So when my little shopping list on my Paprika app is empty, I am done and I can leave the store. Yep. I love paprika. So that is a great tip. Thank you, Joan. Today, we are going to close the segment with a a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Doreen in Arizona. It might be good. It might be bad. A Chinese farmer gets a horse, which soon runs away. A neighbor says, that's bad news. The farmer replies, good news, bad news. Who can say? The horse comes back and brings another horse with him. Good news, you might say. The farmer gives the second horse to his son, who rides it. Then he's thrown and badly breaks his leg. So sorry for your bad news, says the concerned neighbor. Good news, bad news, who can say, the farmer replies. In a week or so, the emperor's men come and take every able-bodied young man to fight in a war. The farmer's son is spared. Good news, of course. It is easy to understand why the ancient story of the Chinese farmer resonates now in times that seem way too full of bad news. The tale of the farmer is said to be Taoist. Taoist theology emphasizes themes such as naturalness, peace, effortless action, detachment, and receptiveness. The farmer's tale captures many of those. In short, it reminds people that it's best not to get too upset or attached to what is happening to us. Even something that seems dark and confounding can turn out to be an opportunity when looked on in hindsight. For me personally, I've heard this story before, but recently it's come up two times in the past few months. It's made me ponder some things I had labeled as bad that had happened. I now look at things differently. We really don't know everything. We just need to witness things and not give up our energy to negativity. It is always a choice and we are always in control. Oh, that was great. Thank you for sharing that, Doreen. I love that story. Yes. And especially today in in the world we're living in today. I mean, 2020 has just been a hard year for a lot of people. And I think if we can just look at things from the perspective that things just are the way they are. That's that's great. Well, it's been a great, a great show. And um, thank you listeners for joining us today. Sherry and I want to invite you to join our Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. And I tell you, we've got great members there and they are really inspiring and so many positive posts every day. Every day. Yeah. I just love it. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through any podcast app, your favorite app that you enjoy listening to podcasts through. Just subscribe so you'll get your new episode every week. We would also love for you to leave a review because the more reviews, that helps other people find our podcast. 
Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.